Hey there, welcome everyone. Michael Griffiths here, founder of Referral Marketing Guru, and welcome to this week's Get More Referrals Today podcast. Today, got a really special guest, good friend, known for a very long time. Uh, we're in different states at the moment, but uh, we're just about catching up for, for the first 20 odd minutes, and it feels like nothing has ever changed. What excites me about today is just the, the wisdom, the knowledge. Uh, it's always from the heart. It's always profound. It's always impactful. Yes, I've built the person up, but I know they're always going to deliver. So I'm going to get to them real soon. I'm going to keep you waiting a little bit longer. Uh, as always, we're on a really simple mission here to inspire a million consultants every year to play a bigger game in their business, to win every single day, to be more profitable than ever before so they can contribute and change society for the better. So if you love the podcast, make sure you share it. We don't run ads. We don't have sponsors. It's pretty simple. The fee is, if you love it, share it around. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. Make sure that you hit those five-star reviews so we get to stay up there in the, in the ratings. And if you didn't hear, we're actually named 25th best podcast in Australia to listen to in 2021. So uh, thank you all so much for being around and for making that happen because it's a great honour to be able to come every single week and deliver great people, great content, great ideas, and hopefully inspire you just for a little bit. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on a really good friend and welcome to Get More Referrals Today podcast. Andrew Morello, thank you very much, sir. As I put up your title, I've just simply called you the Rainmaker. The Rainmaker. That's a big title to live up to, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> so just a quick little snapshot for the people who've got no idea who you are. Um, yes. I've had the pleasure of knowing you now for oh, good four or five years. Uh, we met at the at the Entourage where, where you have always did a lot of work. Uh, we were speaking together a lot of the times. You were one of the, the founding people there. You went away. You came back. I also uh, did a lot of work after winning uh, The Apprentice with Mark Boris here in Australia. Uh, fill us in on a bit of bit more about you and your journey. Let people yeah, understand yeah, a little bit about you. Thank you, Michael, and uh, always a pleasure to see you and uh, love the work that you guys are doing and and the inspiration that you're providing and, and I love the place that you're in right now. I love our little chat off, off camera as well. So, um, guys, uh, Andrew Morello, winner of the first Australian Apprentice, Head of Business Development at the Entourage uh, Business Education um, and Philanthropist. You know, I've got to uh, work with a couple of orphanages over in Cambodia, Sunrise Cambodia with Geraldine Cox. Uh, completed the, it was actually my four-year anniversary the other day. I didn't realise it's already four years that I did the Kokoda Trail for uh, Indigenous Education. I sit on the board for um, Seed Foundation Australia, which is Indigenous uh, a, a charity for Indigenous education in the medical industry. It's one of our members that um, at the entourage that started it, Michael Glitto. I think you'd remember him, Michael Griffiths, from back in the day. So, um, yeah, I'm down in Melbourne right now, spending time with family during uh, these lockdowns and they're very excited about the fact that things are starting to open up in both Melbourne and Sydney and, and Australia. Looking forward to some great international travel in 2022. So if you're watching this from anywhere in the world and you want to follow me on Instagram, I will be touring at some point in some way, shape or form, whether it's a holiday or whether it's um, booked speaking gigs. Um, you can see where I'm going to be if you're if you're in those countries or states or cities. Um, would love to meet you face to face as well. Yeah, lovely. So let's, let's go back to probably where where sort of the journey started and, and, and winning The Apprentice. And yes. um, 
what sort of business experience or or what had you done yeah previously before going onto that show and then what sort of lessons did that teach you yeah, well, my, my father's in the other room, so if he if he's listening to this at all, he'd probably claim that everything I know is from him, and a large portion it probably is. So my journey did start at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, like a lot of um, young Italian, you know, children in working in the family business at the corner of Pascaval Road and Buckley Street in Mooney Ponds. My father had a service station there called BP Morello Amico, for if anyone's old enough to remember Amico, but um, in recent years, uh, BP, and he had it for 48 years there. Um, and and that's where, let's call it the, the sort of the DNA of all the businesses I've been a part of um, and invested in and worked in and and sat on advisory boards or boards or whatever it is. It, it, the DNA of those um, businesses is, is definitely has come from my dad's service station. Like the work ethic, um, you know, the, the world-class experience for a customer, whether they're buying a, a, a tank of petrol or whether they're getting their car fixed or whether they're buying a car and they just wanted my dad or one of the mechanics to look over, look, look over it. Um, it had literally serviced four generations. So that's where I sort of started my career and when I was about... 15, 16, got some government grants to run youth events in Victoria, drug and alcohol-free youth events, built that business up to being able to sell that business to a, a larger entertainment firm that's no longer around, but uh, bad management. But it was going well when I was a part of it and, and sold our business into it at 18, 19. At 18, got into the property game, was involved in about a 1,000 property transactions. Um, and and when, when I was nominated to go onto The Apprentice, 10,000 people tried out, made it to the top 100 in Victoria, top 12 on the show, and then was lucky enough to win the first series. So that sort of fast-tracked us to, let's call it, you know, 24, 25. I ended up buying into the uh, buying into both the Entourage and Yellow Brick Road, sat on a as a as on the leadership team at Yellow Brick Road, opened up 135 Yellow Brick Road stores with Mark Burris uh, for 10, 12 years, um, and then took a a role, you know, leadership role in the entourage and, and some further investment into the, the business as well. And so that gets us to where we are. I'm still very passionate about real estate, still call auctions. So you do see me popping up every now and then calling auctions in both um, New South Wales and Victoria. Um, as a bit of a celebrity auctioneer, people use me as a bit of a way to get their um, get their listing over the line, which is great. You know, I get paid for it, doing something I love. And uh, and obviously a lot of speaking in, in the corporate sector as well now. So with ironically, I never, never saw myself as this, Michael, but I've become a franchise specialist, supposedly. And I never saw myself as that. But then somebody reminded me, they said, you grew up in a franchise service station situation. You were, you've been a franchisor, then a franchisee at Yellow Brick Road. I mean, a, a franchise, a franchise Oregon at Yellow Brick Road. Um, then I've, you know, I've got shares in in a number of different franchise groups nationally, and I've spoken to the Franchise Expo probably, you know, 30, 40 times in the the, the franchise, um, um, uh, you know, in education events. So supposedly I'm an expert in franchising now. I'm working with franchisees. So yeah, there you go, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, so the first thing that comes across, and, and people, whether you're whether you're listening to this on your favourite podcast platform, watching the video on your socials, uh, you're extroverted. You're out there. You've got personality. You're charismatic. Has that always been the case, or do you feel like as you win more and more and do more and more, that naturally grows also? 
I think it's a hybrid of the two. So, um, you know, and anyone who's a parent, and I've, I've recently become a parent, I've got a seven-month-old son now, Lion Mane Morello. Hence, I, you know, you talk about extrovert, I named him Lion Mane. So, you know, he's uh, he's destined for greatness already. Um, so I think anyone who's a parent that's listening to this, it's really important for them to know. And, and I know previous to pressing record, we talked about, NLP and, and how people are programmed and human psychology. We went on a bit of a rabbit warren ourselves, Michael, but it was great content because the reality is that um, I was taught very, you know, from one of my coaches and mentors growing up that you learn three things between zero and seven. You learn your barometer on love, fear, and hate. So if you're in a really loving environment, e.g., it's important even for parents that have gone through separations or, you know, and, and so forth, it's really important to foster a loving environment for your child so they continue to, to understand that love is actually the foundation and basis to everything else they should be creating in their life. Fear. So once again, and, and, and I'll tell a 30-second story in a moment, but fear, so fostering an environment of, of um, encouragement. So like my parents were, were pretty, you know, they, they were immigrants who came on a boat from Italy, so they weren't very extroverted and very loud, but they were very sociable. They didn't know a lot of people, but they always encouraged my brother, my sister, and I to try everything. You know, I'm not the most athletic person, but I've tried, you know, played 20 different sports. I've done school plays. I, you know, I did debating in high school. I did public speaking. My parents always fostered that environment, you know, just give it a go. And the last thing is hate. So obviously, we, you know, we see especially in a lot of, um, you know, child psychology literature that, you know, children that that have, you know, at first glance sort of racist views or, you know, they'll, they'll make a comment that they don't think is racist or they, they don't think is homophobic or they don't think is wrong, but it's just because they heard their dad say it for years, like, oh, that, that driver, oh, they're Chinese, no wonder they can't drive. Or, you know, they might have a friend who, who might be, um, you know, uh, bisexual or homosexual, whatever it might be, and how the child... The, you know, interprets a father's or a mother's, you know, interpretation of, of that friend that they've got in the family is very important to how they're going to see, you know, people of that, you know, th th that community as they're growing up. So on that, when I was seven years old, so we're talking about zero to seven, I, I went to a New Year's Eve Italian event in, in Camberfield at La Mirage Reception Centre, a very ethnic place to go. It's very popular now. The Italians have you know, become a little bit more um, gentrified. And now they'll spend 150 to $250 per head on a wedding. Back then it was 30 to $40 because we were the emerging, you know, culture in, in Melbourne. And, and now it's very popular with the Assyrian community and the, um, the Arabic community. And they can fit a thousand people. And I remember I was there at seven years old and my butcher had told me a joke. I didn't understand it. This is 91, 92. The butcher told me a joke and he would always tell me rude jokes, but he told me one clean one. I didn't understand it. And New Year's Eve, they, they said, we're going to have a jokes competition to wait till midnight. And I asked my mum and dad, can I go up? Now, most Italian parents that are quite conservative would be like, you know, don't go up. You're going to embarrass our family. You're going to embarrass us and so forth. But there's my mum and dad. If you want to go up and tell the joke as a seven-year-old, go up and tell the joke, right? But make sure it's the clean one that you know, right? And I'm like, okay. So I run up and I tell this joke. And there's three people who told the joke. One told one in Italian and, you know, not everyone spoke Italian. One told a rude joke, so a dirty joke. And obviously all the old Italians that were there were very upset. So they didn't go too hard. Then this seven-year-old got up who told a political joke about Paul Keating and the recession we needed to have. And uh, everyone thought it was very, look, the fact the seven-year-old got up, so I had a thousand people give me this standing ovation. And I think it set a bit of a tone and a platform for the rest of my life. 
where he, he, and, and it's really, really important, as I said, if you're a parent or even if you're not a parent, just, you know, fostering other people around you, if it's your, your staff, your clients, your customers, your team, whatever it might be, just fostering an environment where people can step outside their comfort zone to reach their full potential and not waste their precious life. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Love it. So, and maybe, so time, and maybe if we've got time at the end, Michael, I'll come back around and tell the joke again and see. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll keep the loop open for a little bit. Um, so so let me then go down go down this path because more and more people feel the pressure in society and it's easy to jump on Instagram and it's easy to listen to this person and it's easy to listen to that guru and it's easy to listen to this person and we've got YouTube videos coming out of our ears and there's a podcast every second that we could listen to if we want. Who do you listen to? It, it just mm. becomes overwhelming. Yes. And most importantly, so many people don't reach where they want because mm. they put themselves in the way. How do you get yourself out of the way? Like yeah. you've done so many things that you could have been, oh, I'm not good enough for that. Or no, there's probably better people for that. Or yeah. none of that comes across in you. So how yeah. do you how do you take that sort of belief? What do you do around that? Yeah, so great question, first of all. And certainly let's just reiterate to anyone listening or watching, it is a journey, not a destination. So certainly I, you know, I'm not sitting here as um, you know, some miniature Buddha, but only with hair and reach some level of enlightenment. It is a constant journey, right? So um I I I have dedicated a lot of time, money, energy, and resources to being better. Right. So like I, I will preempt that. Right. And I understand that some people aren't in a financial position to to invest in themselves. But the number one thing I've invested in always has been myself with some of the top mentors, top coaches, top, you know, programs, top, you know, experiences. You know, I've done, you know, I've been to 30 plus countries, like even just travel in itself was a, a large portion of that, like, you know, getting lost in, you know, in developing you know, nations, we can't call them third world anymore, but some of the situations I've been in, in some of these countries where we're building things or rescuing children from child prostitution and begging circles, it very much gives you a lot of nourishment that you need in order to then face, let's call it, you know, Western civilization or or um, developed nations and, and, and doing negotiating business deals. Like, you know, I, I see what we've done in Cambodia with the children there and I look at and, and the idea that we had that was just crazy to raise all this money and go and build these things and start these programs, entrepreneurial programs for, you know, for orphans in Cambodia that have lost their families. And it was funny, like, you know, it was just an idea one night at like one o'clock in the morning, a crazy idea that we were having. And then we made it a reality, right? So there was, there was plenty of times when I was working on that project with um, Liz Volpe and, and Cheryl Ty from Cupcake Central and and um, and Liz Volpe from Project Gen Z. And, and we've got some amazing group of people that sit on the boards and for Stookers are involved from Locomo. And it's like when you're working with these people and you're working on a pretty much an impossible, what you think is an impossible project, there's plenty of times where you doubt yourself, right? So like, you know, the journey isn't like I'm, I'm here, I can do anything. It's like what I've done is I've set myself goals and challenges and, and you know, big audacious goals. And then I've reached them or I've been at peace with not, if not reaching them, at least shooting for them, right? So like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a quick concept here that I've come up with. It's called the seven out of 10 rule. Right. So like what, what it means is that if, if you can shoot for something, something's like a 10 out of 10, like let's say you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to shoot for next month, 
I'm going to work really, really. Let's say you're you're a consultant in sales, or you're you're um a, you know representative for for a business or your own business, and you say next month I'm going to need a hundred thousand dollars in sales, right? Let's say you hit 60, 70, 80 grand in sales, you should still be you know like still shoot for that following month to hit one hundred grand if that's your big audacious goal that you want to get to. But if you're hitting 60, 70, 80, you also need to at times just reflect on the fact that you should be very proud of yourself that you're you are achieving something pretty exceptional already right so it's it's not a matter of um not shooting for the stars it's shoot for the stars and if you hit the moon it's still a bonus right so you know that's that's number one the other concept is we talk about you know what what to listen to what books to read and so forth and so forth and i've you know I've gone more down a spiritual path now rather than a business path. So when I started on this journey, you know, 20 years ago when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, it was very much reading biographies and reading business books and reading, you know, things that were going to make me money. Like, because that that was my my mindset back then. I was young, wanted to buy cars, wanted to buy houses. I bought subsequently a number of houses when I was young as well. And it was about, like, how do I make more money? As soon as I had the paradigm shift and worked out, and we talked about this before with you know your journey as as a leader in your business, Michael, that as soon as you make that paradigm shift, that it's like well, let's forget about the money and focus on who we are as a person and our contribution, then then everything else seems to fall into place. And so one of the the, the couple of the, the focuses I've, I've worked on, um, the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, a really good book for people to read to get a good understanding of how to balance their business and their personal life. Um, the Seven Spiritual Laws by Deepak Chopra. He actually has a second vision that he's built for business, but I say read the original version. And some of the concepts that you'll take out of there, and we spoke about them before, is like letting go of the outcome, like having the goal of 100K, but letting go of the fact that if you don't get it, it's not the end of the world. It just means that we need to come up with a better strategy. Number two is embrace the uncertainty of life and understand that maybe that 100K isn't necessarily going to come from the traditional way that you've done business. That's been a big thing that I've learned. Like I've gone, oh, okay, yeah, you know, it's real estate. We're going to door knock, letterbox drop and cold call. Like that's how we're going to get to the 100K next month. And I'm like, well, wait, wait a minute. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's referral strategies. Maybe it's partnerships. Maybe it's, you know, um, going to sponsor the local community center and, get, you know, handing out food on a Thursday night and meeting other, you know, influential people in the area that are also trying to help the community, you know, and then them being advocates for you. So all of a sudden when you remove, okay, what's my quick, my, my shortest path to making money and you go, okay, well, what's my best way to contribute? The contribution will often, often, I'm not going to say always, but often, and I'm living proof of this, equate, and I look at the people that I'm surrounded by, e.g. yourself, Michael, the Jack DeLoses, the Mark Burrises, the Jerry Harveys, the John McGraths, the Geraldine Coxes, the Liz Volpies, you know, um, and I look at their successes and I go, well, it's because they're good people and they're trying to actually change the world and they're trying to do something amazing and subsequently it is, you know, given them a commercial benefit in the long run. Love that. Yeah. Love that. So, so let me then follow this up because, I, again, a lot of people, and it's just the noise that's out there, and it's really easy today to be able to create noise without much substance behind it. Yeah. Um, and, and the noise goes, just focus on doing Facebook ads or just focus on doing SEO or just focus on doing referrals or just focus on going to networking events. And, yeah. and they focus on the channel where, yes. in fact, when you think about business success, whether we like it or not, our personal world and our business world will always collide. Yeah. Talk to me about that and talk to me about how how one has to be right for the other to be right. 
Yeah. And, and it's just a whole big piece. It, it's got really marketing might be like one one hundredth mm. of the actual overall equation. Yeah. 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 It's it's interesting you say that because you, you you'll you remember from back when we were presenting together at Entourage on those you know long Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays that seemed like they went forever, um, but in a good way. They were lots of fun uh, with hundreds of, of of members there. And you'll remember often I I often spoke about the concept of turning your job, business, and career into your lifestyle, right? And I know you've done it very very well, and I know you advocate for it in in the you know, modalities and the methodologies that you speak about with, you know, with what you guys do. But it's something we advocate at the entourage is something I advocate as an individual that, you know, if you can turn your job, business and career uh, into your lifestyle, then it really doesn't become work anymore. And probably the person who I can identify that does this the best, I reckon does this the best is my brother. So my brother, um, he doesn't door knock, he doesn't let a box drop, he doesn't call cold call, writes millions of dollars in, in real estate commission every year, has a team of about 45, 50 staff now, multiple offices, um, you know, in real estate, right? And, and you know, if you if you follow the traditional teachings, it's you should door knock, letterbox, drop, cold call, door knock, letterbox, drop, cold call. But rather my brother's come up with his own sort of, sort of twist to it, right? So, you know, a large portion of it is, yes, he's been in the industry for 20 years and he gets a, a, a large portion of referrals, but he's very heavily involved in the community. He he sat on as the treasurer for his children's primary schools. He has sat on the board for um, his children's sporting, you know, um, events. Um, it's not abnormal, and I'm not saying, you know, there's, there's no religious context here, but, you know, my brother is, is Roman Catholic and my brother often goes to church on a Sunday, sometimes on his own. He doesn't make a big fanfare of it, and he's always got a business card in his pocket. You know, the first thing someone asks you after church on a Sunday is generally how the auction results went the day before. You know, they're like, oh, how did 36 Smith Street go? Oh, fantastic. My brother's just very good at asking the right questions of why Why do you want, you know, is there a reason why you ask? Well, funnily enough, we're looking at selling mum, mum and dad's place. Mum's going into a home. You know, we probably need to find out roughly what it's worth. My brother's very good at just grabbing their details down, sending them a quick text message and, and following up on Monday, right? So, and then from there, he'll often take his daughters if they've gone to church with him, they'll often go to Lamana's in Melbourne, which is like a, a, a famous supermarket where they've got Italian delicatessen in there and everyone goes there on a Sunday for brunch and has brunch and then they do their shopping. And it's a four or five-hour experience. And, you know, my brother then will be walking through the shopping centre and he's walking with Vince Lamana, who's the owner, who's a very successful Australian businessman who's best friends with Lindsay Fox. And they're walking through the shopping centre and Vince is then going up to people going, Oh, have you met John Morello? He's our family real estate agent. He takes care of all of our property interests. You should have a chat with him about your $2 million place, your $5 million place, your $10 million place. And all of a sudden, my brother's turned his job, his career, and his business into his lifestyle. Church, schools. You know, my nieces are at Loretto Mandeville. They're into rowing. My brother sponsors the rowing team there now. So there's Jealous Craig on the banks of the Yarra. You know, it's a, it's a prestigious sport. The caliber of people that they're networking with is quite high. We're just lucky that my niece is, is world-class at it. It wouldn't be good if I said, you're lucky that, that my niece is very, very good. Otherwise, it wouldn't be good sponsoring if we weren't very good at it. So at least she's probably, she's probably number two in the country right now. So it's, um you know, but once again, and the other thing is too, when you're in a partnership, as in like either a business partnership or a life partnership, my sister-in-law plays a really beautiful um, complimentary part to my brother. So like she's involved in the business as well. She's as much an owner in the business as my brother is. 
Um, and she just she's also done a really good job of of complementing what my brother's, you know, lifestyle is now about how do we create business and continue to grow. And that's on two sides. That's not just with customers. It's also as well with um, staff. So one of the biggest things that we my my brothers, you know, when we sat down and do his business growth strategies, is like getting good staff, good property managers, good salespeople. We've just employed a general manager, you know, quarter of a million dollar a year uh, resource. So like importance of getting someone of that caliber in order to run a 50 that will grow to 100 staff over the next 6, 12, 24 months and making sure that that culture is, and, and we're bringing right people into that culture. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, so- so there's two big things as you're listening that I want you to take away, things that we talk about all the time. The fastest way to grow a business is not through just simply streamlined systems. It's through actual creating deep emotional bonds. When you create deep emotional bonds, we don't know why because that's what the limbic brain which controls all of our decisions it doesn't understand language, but it understands feelings. And people just go, I just feel that that was the right person. I just feel that, I don't know what it is, but it just feels right. And that's what creating deep emotional bonds do. And you can yeah. just hear in that story how every part of that business has been growing on understanding, creating deep emotional bonds is the is the way to grow the business. So I love that. So, um, Michael, on that, you know, I believe that the meaning to life is the people we meet and what we create with them. I'll, I'll, I'll let that sink in for a second. That the meaning to life is the people we meet and what we create with them. Like yeah. I think, I think, um, I think we have become so desensitized when it comes to relationships, and because it, you know, obviously we've gone through COVID and lockdowns and social media and Tinder and all this crap. That no, but like people have forgotten that you know still that emotional connection and hence, you know, Zoom success. Like you look at the share price of Zoom and the reason why it's gone as crazy as it has is because people are hanging on to what is the last little bit of contact they can have as at face-to-face that they can have in a period of time when they can't experience it, right? So, you know, and I, and I saw in Sydney when between the lockdowns, we ran some events, including the unconvention where we had 500 people and we were maxed out. You know, that was all we could fit in there legally for COVID reasons. We probably could have had a thousand in there, right? So, like, the reality is it's like your people are yearning for human interaction. Don't underestimate it. And whether you're a digital business, some people go, oh, but I'm an e-commerce business. I'm like, great. Well, you still need people to help you grow the business. So make sure you still have that human interaction around there. And, yes, some of them, if you're starting out, you might be in subcontracting. You know, like they're like, oh, I've got four subcontractors. No, they're not really my staff. I'm like, please never say that again. Of course, they're your staff. They're your subcontractors until you can afford to employ them full-time or get someone full-time, right? So, like, you should be treating them exactly the same way you'd be treating, you know, a $60,000, $80,000 a year resource that was indoctrinated into your vision, mission, and values and the culture of your business. Yeah, love it. Yeah. What would have been probably the top lesson you took away from winning The Apprentice? Um. Uh, play to your strengths, but work on your weaknesses. Play to your strengths, but work on your weaknesses. So um, Burris uh, would always drill this into me over the last sort of 10, 10, 12 years, 
where he'd say, you know, Morelli, you, you're really good. Like, you've you been a tough love, you know, from your mentor and, you know, like a second father to me. And he'd say, like, you, at times you're a one-trick pony. Like, you know, you can get up and you can entertain and you can inspire and you can motivate great. But then can you go into a back room for four or five hours and build strategy, you know, with, with the CFO, build strategy with the CEO, CEO, build strategy with the, you know, the team. You know, can, can you do that? And I'm like, you know, he's probably, he was probably right. At the time, there was an element, I had made lots of money, yeah, great. There was an element of immaturity there where I probably hadn't, you know, refined some of the other skills that I've, I think I've refined, gotten better at. Certainly not mastered, because that would be hubris of me. Not mastered, but certainly refined. So it's, you know, he's like, play to your strengths. Your strength is, yes, you can walk into a room, get up deliver something people will, will be excited by it but then can you back it up with the with the the, the nuts and bolts and the you know the 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 prop the you know the, the foundational stuff after it and the strategy behind it so yeah that was probably the biggest lesson you know from the apprentice and from mark you know from from being yellow brick road that was that was a big learning lesson for me yeah fantastic uh, if you if you look at what's next yes and obviously you don't ever know what's what's really next but what what do you see the next few years holding? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll put I'll, I'll give you three streams. I'll give you like my my general out view, my general view economically, where I think what what will be happening in Australia and globally. Number two, I'll give you um, stuff that I'm doing at a business level, and then number three at a personal level, I think as well. So I think um, number one is you know economic. Let's look at it economically. You know, my, my, a lot of the people listening to this uh, business incline. I'm sure you've got some people that aren't, but large portion of you are right so if you're in australia i believe australia is about to go through um you know the roaring 20s a, an unprecedented period of growth reason being um you know economically we're very well positioned right so like from a, whether you're pro-vax or anti-vax it's irrelevant from a vaccination rate we've got one of the highest rates out of you know, uk america israel um and a couple of other large countries, Canada and a couple of other large countries. So per capita, we have a very high vaccination rate, we're number one. Number two is that economically, um, you know, globally, our even though we've got a lot of debt right now and, and we've been handing, you know, cash out to a lot of people, which I don't know if that was a good idea because I think it's created a bit of a culture of um, uh, laziness in Australia. But for the sake of the conversation, we did that and it stimulated the economy and it, it stopped us from slipping into recessions and put food on people's tables and great. So I'm all for that. So economically, we do have debt, but our debt is actually internationally one of the, the highest rated debts. So, you know, like basically if anyone internationally, like other governments are buying our, what we call our bonds, our, our debt and our bank bonds, um, they bought, they're getting like, 0.1% interest or 1% interest. They don't get any real money because the fact is Australia is a very safe bet. It is positioned globally as a land of opportunity, the land of milk and honey. And we'll see plenty of that. And and whether it's Liberal or Labor you vote for, it's irrelevant once again, or Independent or Greens. We will do what we always have done for the last 100 years um, or since colonisation 200 years ago, 
is that whenever we need to stimulate our economy, we open up our doors. You know, we open up our doors to investment, we open up our doors to immigration and so forth and so forth. So I think that's what the next three years looks like, three to five years looks like for us economically. As And I think if you've got a business, I would be investing in the business right now and, and, and doing everything possible to, to grow that business. Number two, personally, like obviously continue to work with our Elevate community at the Entourage. I get a lot of joy out of working with our million dollar plus businesses. You know, we've got 149 members in that. We continue to, to enjoy that and, and, and do the retreats and the member assemblies and so forth. Um, I've invested with Stuart Cook, which you'll remember, Michael Griffiths, ex-global CEO of Zambrero. I've just invested with him and set up um, at, uh, at Andrew Morello the Instagram, just, oh, at the end, Michael. Um, that's all right. Just, just at least it's, it's been anglified now. So I've got, uh, I've invested into a company called Bite Size Innovations, um, which are bringing out Australia's first plant-based beef beef burger, uh, which is called Bud's Burgers, which is available in all of your IGAs nationally now. Um, and we're opening up our first store called Flav, which is a vegan um, bowl and burger place in Hall Street, Bondi in the old St. George Bank building in Hall Street, Bondi. So please check that out in seven weeks' time. That will be open. Um, and then personally, I think philanthropy, you know, Michael, I want to get back to Cambodia. One of the reasons why I got vaccinated, I wasn't an anti-vaxxer. The reason why I got vaccinated was so I could go to Cambodia. Like, you know, I've got 712 kids in the orphanage over there. If you guys want to check it out or you want to be a part of it in some way, shape or form, you can check out um, Sunrise Village, Cambodia or Sunrise Cambodia, it's called, online um, with Geraldine Cox. Otherwise, our sort of branch of that is called Project Gen Z, where we're working with um, these children to teach them entrepreneurialism and teach them how to be the masters of their own fate and the captains of their own soul. Um, and then just continuing to uh, to try and be a great father and a, and a great human being. Yeah, love it. Love it. So I'll put some of those things uh, back up there again. Andrew Morello, at Andrew Morello on Instagram. Uh, Morello, M-O-R-E-L-L-O. -L -L -O. Look in the show notes below. If you're not sure, make sure you connect. And also Project Gen Z. Um, yes. it, it certainly it fits into our overall underprivileged children getting an education uh, umbrella that, that we make impact around. So it's certainly something which I need to catch back up with you and um, look at how we continue to, to make more of an impact in there ourselves also. Let's finish on this really fun, positive note. Tell us the joke. Okay, fantastic, beautiful. So I'll make it I'll make it a, a, a modern version of it. So this list that makes sense there, I'm right. But I'll just remind you, it was 91-92. For those of you who aren't old enough or, or well-versed enough in politics, it was when we had a, a prime minister called Paul Keating. And his famous words were inflation had gone up to 17%, interest rates were at 18, 19% for housing. You know, it's at 2% now to give you a comparison. And everybody hated the Prime Minister because he said, it's the recession we needed to have to correct the economy. We'd gone through this enormous growth and in inflation through mining and so forth. So I'm a, I'm a seven-year-old, six, seven-year-old kid here, right? So I had no idea what, the, what I was saying at the time, but it was about Paul Keating. At the time, everybody hated him, so it was about him. But what I'll do is I'll make it relevant and I'll say, I'll use, I'll, I'll, I'll make it modern and I'll say with Scott Morrison now, right? So you got three boys sitting in a little fishing tinny in Sydney Harbour, right? And they see a man drowning, three 15-year-old boys. And so they row over to him and they, they, they rescue him and they realise it's Prime Minister Scott Morrison, right? And so Prime Minister Scott Morrison says, I'll grant you all one wish each for rescuing me, right? And so the first boy says, can I have a BMX bike? 
Scott Morrison turns around and goes, yes, you can have a BMX bike. Second boy says, can I have a ticket to Fiji for me and my family? He goes, yep, that's done. Third boy goes, can I get a state funeral? Now, a state funeral is generally reserved for like war heroes or prime ministers where they close off the streets. It's, it's you know, a funeral for somebody famous. And he goes, how old are you? He goes, I'm 15. He goes, why would you need a state funeral? He goes, because my dad's going to kill me when he finds out I saved Prime Minister Scott Morrison. <laughs> Very good. No, it's still, still a little bit funny now, but you can imagine a seven-year-old kid telling a political joke like that during a period where everybody actually hated Paul Keating. Yeah. Like, ridiculously. You're, you're old enough to remember. And it's like, um, I think the seven-year-old part was even, is what gave it the gravitas for its amusement a little bit more. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Love it. Love yeah. it. Uh, right. Andrew Morello, thank you so much for jumping on, joining us. Uh, really appreciate it as always. Make sure uh, whether you are watching, listening, that you reach out. Uh, Instagram's the best place. Uh, even he doesn't respond to me on on any of the other platforms. Instagram's best place, correct? You'll get you'll get me, which is good. Yeah, right. it's the only place that he actually responds to me. So reach yeah. out to me on his Instagram at Andrew Morello, and uh, but. Make sure that you, you follow along because there's always good things taking place and getting along to to have a look at Unconvention that the Entourage runs uh, is, is a great event for you to go and, and really be inspired to how to take your business to a whole different level also. Uh, so thank you, sir. Really appreciate you jumping on. Pleasure. Looking forward to our catch-up in Manly when I get back to Sydney. Yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. That is this week's Get More Referral State podcast. Please make sure that you subscribe, uh, whether that's hitting the YouTube button on your favorite social platform or on your favorite podcast platform. As always, hey, we, we'd love for you to share it. The only way that we can really create this ripple effect throughout society is more and more people getting to be inspired by great leaders who are doing great things. And when we get stuck in our own head, we're pretty much dead. So to be able to listen to other people, what they're doing, other ideas, and even if it just makes one one thousandth of a difference, you're better off than what you were yesterday. So I appreciate you jumping on, appreciate you joining us, and we will catch you again next week. Take care all and see you later.